Hey everybody! Happy Friday! Yay Friday! Friday! It's it's the Scene Stealers podcast again. I'm Trevin McGee with Trey Hawk and a new guest contributor to the site and the podcast, Will Finley. What's up? And uh, <laughs> just just coming out swinging. Yeah. Um, we got a couple of movies this week. We're going to talk about Boyhood and Guardians of the Galaxy, two movies that are incredibly uh, similar. But first, Trey's going to tell us about something that he's got to promote for some, something. Yeah, just a little something. A little something. Um, so Cinema KC is going to do an animation series, a short animation series okay. uh, in August. It's going to be on Saturdays in the morning. I think they're usually going to show things around 10.30 or 11. Okay. Um, but this week, August 2nd, they're going to show American Tales. An American Tale. Oh. What I'm most excited about, though, is August 9th, the second Saturday in August, mm-hmm. because they're doing they're featuring short works, so various short a- animated short films from you know all over the world and whatever. But they are featuring also <coughs> two recent KCAI grads, Natalie Krauss and Nicole Deroche. And they're going to show their shorts and then talk to and talk to the audience and answer questions. So cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, but just to round out their schedule, August 16th, they're going to show Ernest and Celestine. And then they're going to finish uh, finish it out on August 23rd with The Secret Life of Arietti. So, oh, cool. So they're trying to be eclectic and thoughtful about the, the different films that they're showing. Yeah. They didn't just go straight to the sort of Disney vault. Um, so it should be a pretty cool series and it's free and it's, you know, it's in the morning on Saturdays. So take your kids, have a blast, start thinking about animation, not just as sort of bubblegum, you know, uh, just sort of bubblegum pop, like entertainment for kids, but Mm -hmm. is something that has the potential to be more. So which, um, that's really, that's really cool. Um, which earnest movie is, is it? Like there's he goes to camp, yeah. And he goes this to jail. Is, he goes to camp. He goes to jail. And then there's the um, Halloween one. Yeah. Like which which this is like, this wh- where is does it actually, fall in those in those? Yeah. This ones? is this is when he makes friend. Okay. And her name is Celestine. Oh. Okay. And they get in. They get up to wacky hijinks. All right. Yes. That sounds great. Actually, when you go and see the actual movie, you will be sorely disappointed if that's what you're going for. There's no hijinks. <laughs> there, there are no well. Yeah, just sad hijinks. <laughs> just depressing yeah. hijinks. Yeah, like... So on the scale of, like, sad animated movies, are what? we talking about, like, when the wind blows sad? Like, is it that, is it that yeah, sad? Yeah, like, melancholy. Yeah. Let's just go melancholy. Okay. Like, but if you go there, so like you'll be very confused. It's like, why is this guy not talking to a mythic to person named Vern? Vern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, awesome. do not expect that. But August 9th is probably, you know, what what I am most excited for because I'm I'm excited to see uh what these two former or what these two former students, recent grads uh kind of say about their own artwork and you get to talk to the artist. Um which I think is really cool. It's that is a cool, cool opportunity. And it's free. Go see it. It's free. All Saturday mornings, 10:30 or 11, the uh Screenland Crown, Crown Center. Center. Yes. Correct. Yeah, go. Go to it. It'll be fun. And it's free. And it's fun. And it's free. All right. 
Uh, let's. We're we've got two movies. We've got Boyhood and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, two movies that I um, was very excited to watch for very different reasons. Sure. Um, and I, I think we should just start with Boyhood because um, of the two. Even though the idea of James Gunn getting to direct a big budget Marvel summer blockbuster movie is still surreal to me. Even having seen it, I'm just like, really. Did that, sure. did that happen? Yeah. Um, I still think that um, Richard Linklater's movie is something very special and deserved to be talked about. So um, just a quick recap, because it's been around and he's been doing press for it. And um, if you're into film, you probably have heard at least some about it. Um, it's a Richard Linklater written and directed film, and it stars a cast that he has intermittently checked in on um, and used the same characters and actors in real time for the last 12 years. So it starts at the beginning of this this young, this boy's, uh, I think his second grade year in school, he's I believe. Seven. Yeah, so he's, okay, so yeah, he's seven. So you're, you're either, yeah, you're in second grade going into third. So anyway, it starts when he's a second grader and it ends when he goes to college, which is yeah. um, a really incredible feet just that he was able to like keep the film going for that long and and you know there there are some recognizable actors in the film in in the form of Ethan Hawke and um Patricia Arquette, Patricia Arquette yeah. thank you um but for the most part other than those two it's a largely unknown um cast and um it the best way I've been able to describe it to people when they've asked me about it is it you know it really it is the most Richard Linklater Richard Linklater film to yeah. me. Um, because if you've seen and are familiar with a lot of his work, he does, with the exception of the Newton Boys, which was kind of his, I won't, it wasn't really, a, I wouldn't call it a failed attempt at um, a big budget movie because it's not really a big budget. It's a studio film. I think it's sure. kind of his, it's his studio <laughs> film. Um, but he took it because he had a, a vested interest in the characters and, and he still got to kind of make his own movie out of it. Um, but with the exception of that, most of his films, if you if you're familiar with his catalog, um, kind of circle around the same themes and the same kind of issues. Um, particularly, a lot of the conflict is internal. A lot of it's sort of a philosophical discussion or a, an ethical dilemma that kind of motivates a lot of his characters' actions and motivations. It's typically not something. It's typically not the outside world crashing in, but this this sort of internal turmoil that that's trying to push its way out. Uh, you know, of course, when I start talking about it, I can only think of the examples that are counter to that. So, like, a scanner darkly kind of has that in the form of addiction. Addiction is very much an internal struggle with with physical manifestations. But you think about movies like uh, the Before films, all three of those, or even. Slacker, um, slacker, dazed and confused. Even yeah. doesn't really have like, um, you know, the the big push of dazed and confused. You've got this one kid coming into school, into high school, and figuring out who he's going to be, and then you've got these other guys that are at the end of high school and trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And sure. so, a lot of the sort of angst in that movie comes from that uncertainty and that kind of push pull of who you were and who you're going to be. Well, and the angst in that in dazed and confused, I think, in some ways, kind of mimics or mirrors the angst in boyhood but but you've got the parallel of of mitch yeah it coming in as a freshman leaving leaving middle school or leaving junior high and coming into high school and i think they even have 
they have parallel conversations where all of the seniors are like, man, once I get to college, it's going to be great. Um, and then you see the junior high kids who are leaving eighth grade, getting ready to become freshmen in high school. And they're like, man, once we get out of junior high, it's just going to be smooth sailing. And you see that, that Richard Linklater, one of the things that he does is he illustrates that his characters, the best they can do is not know they haven't solved the problem. Right. Like that's the best your characters can do. <laughs> they don't ever solve the problem. They, they just don't know they haven't yet solved the problem. Yeah. They think they've figured it out, and they'll find out probably in a year or two yeah. that they have yet to figure it out. I- ignorance is often bliss in his, in his movies. And I think your assessment of this being the most Richard Linklater of Richard Linklater's films, I think, one, I think you're right. He, he focuses on not these huge existential crises like the... Where did I come from? Yeah. Like, why are why do humans have sentience? I mean, he's yeah. but he's talking about like individuals. Yeah, thinking, where, where do like, I fit? And, yeah, how and, did I get here? How did I like, get I here? Mean, and what, where, where am I going to go next? Exactly. There's a lot of that. The other way that I feel like it's the other ways that I think that it's it's a very much like a sort of um, testament to his his films. The ambition, you know, like we've seen some of some of his. Um, use of real time in the before series and the fact that those, uh, Ethan Hawke and, um, Julie, 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 yeah, she, um, they, they reprise the same characters several years apart and that, that is dealt with in real time. Um, real time has passed between the last time and the next time they meet each other. And that's always a really fascinating element for those characters whenever they meet because they do change and grow and things aren't always how they were when they left them. Um, or even when he shoots a film in real time, like Tape, which had to, you know, cost 30 bucks. It had Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman in it, and, mm-hmm. and they, it was basically just a little character drama with one set. Yeah. Um, so it has that sort of ambition. He's not a, he's not a visual director in the sense that he's never going to, he's not going to do something like, um, you know, he's not going to do American Beauty or something, you know, right. giant and kind of overwrought and overly philosophical and heavy-handed. He's a very subtle, very um, um, internalized filmmaker, just like his films are very internalized, too. And um, one of the ways that he kind of demonstrates his ambition or his, his prowess is when he does these sort of, like, real-time commitment films. And this is, a like, the most like that of any right. <laughs> of any of his movies. Um and I'm I'm saying all that just to kind of set up that if you like his films, I you're going to I feel like at least um, I'm qualified to say that you're going to love this one. Yeah. Um, if you're a fan of his work um, at any stage in his career, it really does feel like sort of the distilled. Uh, it feels like every movie he's made was working towards this one in a weird in a weird way to me. Yeah. Um, and because the way it was shot, like the production values improve as time goes by, uh, you can kind of notice, you can just kind of see him come into his own as a filmmaker as this is happening. And at the same time, it's such an ambitious undertaking on its own. Um, the fact that it makes sense as a narrative is, is kind of an undersung accomplishment. I think that's the, the biggest thing that doesn't get enough representation in most of the in most of the conversations or interviews that I've heard Linklater in, 
I think there's so much fixation on just the sheer technical ambitiousness of the project. Yeah. The the committing to shooting it over 12 years, the right. making sure that that happens and scheduling a, a production week or two every year with the same cast and the you know the same people. That's hugely ambitious and that yeah. deserves some spotlight, but I think that what gets underrepresented is that Yes, it is a Richard Linklater narrative. It is loose, and it is much more an exploration of a specific time in this individual's life as they mature from being six or seven years old to being 18 or 19. And and so, yes, the narrative is loose, but there is real exploration. I don't want to say I don't want to say development because the questions that are asked early on remain even when even when the boy gets older. Yeah. But um but there's there's real legitimate exploration, compelling exploration and there's real real excitement in the narrative as it exists in a Richard Linklater film. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um I I I got the chance to watch a couple of interviews with Eller Coltrane, the star. Um, and all they want to talk about is, wow, what, did you know what you were signing on for when you were six years old? And right. Of course not. But, <laughs> uh, but like, you know, one of the things is that, you know, the people that have seen this film assume that, oh, this is just a docudrama that, like, you know, they, that Richard Linklater just showed up every year and was like, all right, I'm going to film you for two weeks and then... I'll see you again next year, but, you know, he was homeschooled by a couple of, like, artists, and this was really the the commitment, like, and that there was serious thought and serious, you know, time put into the narrative and the writing and and where it was going. It wasn't just a matter of showing up and shooting every 12 years, or every year for 12 years, so. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest, you know, sort of complaints I can lodge against it are the same things that we just kind of praised it for. Um, it is very internal. There's not a lot happens. It's not sure if if you're looking for some major conflict or you know a rain soaked confession of love or you know if you're looking for any of those kind of Cameron Crow. big you know big moments <laughs> in, a, in a drama. Um, this is not that movie. It's very understated. There's not a lot of heavy handedness in it. There, there's not, there's never a scene where the kid's like, and that's when I learned, you know, that they always break your heart, you know, like there's, there's none of that. It's a lot of it is just kind of like you, you know, life as he sees it lived and you either identify with it and it resonates with you. Or you come out of it going, what did I just, what did I just sure. see? You know, because and the revelations are very simple. It's very, like yeah. like somebody at best will turn and say, "Oh, I'm glad you're here," or yeah. or or they'll they'll turn like, or you'll realize, "Oh, good, I'm finally out of that bad situation." Yeah, and that is the and that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. the biggest revelation. So there's you know there's not a lot. There was a scene that you mentioned that you know they they mentioned they mentioned it with him. A link later when they interviewed him on uh, NPR a few weeks ago, and there there's a moment in the scene or in in the film where um, the character is doing something kind of dangerous, 
And I was like, is this, is this going to be like where something dramatic happens and he gets hurt or he hurts someone and it's sort of a learning experience? No, <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. It's yeah. just not. And, and it, the way it treats relationships is very similar too. I mean, um, Patricia, Patricia Arquette's character remarries a couple of times some things happen within those marriages, but it's never, that, that's kind of, that's the, that's another complaint I kind of have is that she doesn't really get a lot to do in the film and she's kind of a victim for most of the film in that she puts herself in these kind of bad situations. Yeah. It it just seems like everything else was very, um, uh, thought out and well done. And she just kind of floats from one bad relationship to the next. And when you contrast that to how he depicts and, and, um, represents Ethan Hawke as, as, as Mason's father and how he kind of looks like a deadbeat and then, ends up being, you know, coming into his own and figuring himself out a little bit. Again, it's not an overwrought thing where, like, he shows up for the kid's high school recital at the end and, you know, waves it. You know, it's not that kind of movie. Yeah. But um, it is kind of jarring the way that they actually gave him an arc and she just kind of, she doesn't really have one. Or the arc that she has is very much that of somebody who's just kind of a, a victim and doesn't get to do a lot else. Well, and I would, I, I see, I totally see where you're coming from on that. Uh, I would argue a little bit just because, I mean, coming just because of my own background and uh, my interaction with the film is different because I'm only two years older than this kid. Yeah. Uh, and like, and so you've got this single parent and this other one that shows up, you know every few weeks or every month or something. And it's really easy to be, to be dad and to be right. cool for a couple of days a month or something. And like, and she is there as the, I guess the main parent. And so all of her decisions and all of the like mistakes that she's making and like, I don't know the crap that's happening in her life is on display for him. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, whereas she, he gets to have this like, I don't know, superhero, cool dad mindset about his dad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and they do kind of show just kind of, you know, with perspective. And it, it probably looked really cool when they went to stay at his house that one time. Yeah. But yeah. from my perspective as like a grown-up, I was like, well, that's shitty. Like, that's right, a right. That's a and shitty thing think, to do to kids. I do think that this movie will play to different perspectives. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah so. that's really interesting, too. I was I was thinking about that with the young love scenes, with not like love scenes, but the scenes of him like in love as, yeah, as a young being man. being interested in. And, yeah. and how that worked, and then sort of the post-relationship stuff, like that kind of post-mortem that goes on. And it was like, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would probably be way more invested in this if it were 10 years ago. You know, like sure. I, th- I think sure. I would get this way better. <laughs> like, yeah, But with, you have almost time. an older brother or parental perspective at this point yeah. where you're like, yeah, it's just not going to be that big a deal, kid. Right. Come on. Yeah, kind of. You yeah. know, and, but I, I do think that that's that I, I think and, to some extent for the right audience, I don't think this is a film for everybody because... It is, I don't want to say meandering because it doesn't meander, but it doesn't, no. it doesn't solve any problem. It's very focused, but it's not really focused on a problem. It's just right. kind yeah. of, it it's, just it's, it's focused on this family and that's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So, but I find the mother character to actually be really interesting and complex. If you, 
if you sort of follow her romantic arc, yeah, she is kind of a victim. She keeps making the same mistakes, yeah, and you know uh, she keeps getting involved with abusive men, and in the end, she ends up by herself, single, right. And and really, it's like I think her ending up single is actually kind of empowering. Yeah. Um. But if you follow like her dedication to school and her career and her kids, and her kids yeah, she's she's really she's she's a tough character, and yeah. I, I I will absolutely give you that. Um. But I really applaud Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette. I mean, two oh, established yeah. actors who allow themselves to to be shot in a really human way yeah, and show real vulnerability in the fact that they both age and they both age in the same sort of awkward, weird ways that basically everybody ages. Yeah. And it's not all like attractive and wonderful and toned and incredible. It's like in both of them are willing to kind of do that. And I think it's, I think it's really admirable. Yeah. Uh, they're, uh, you know, maybe it's not just commitment to this role because they're aging in right. spite of themselves. No matter but at what the same they time, do. they didn't say like, you know, only shoot me from this side or right. don't, don't dress me in this because it makes me look frumpy. Right. Or, or know, they like didn't they, go out and get like, yeah. you know, two trainers to come in and yeah. work on them for three months before they've got to make this two weeks, right. you know, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, that there's something really refreshing. I think that's why the narrative works, yeah. ultimately, is that it is just like a slice of this person's life or these characters' yeah. lives. And that's what you get. Yeah. You know. Uh, other things I really enjoyed before, I think we can, we're probably getting close to being able to wrap it up, but just another thing that I thought they did really well. Um, th- despite the fact that we just, and me particularly just talked about it for like 10 minutes. Um, they don't actually make a big deal out of the, the time progression. It's, it's just kind of woven into the narrative. Yeah, there's never a moment attention. where it's like, sure are, sure are getting old on me, bud. Or, you know, yeah. there's nothing like that. The way that he kind of hints at the time frame is really subtle and interesting. He does it through musical cues. It's typically the popular music of the day that, that lets you figure out what time it is. And then also, just things like the cars or the technology they use is from that era, and he doesn't like make a big deal out of it. Just like he doesn't make a big deal out of anything in it, but it's it's just woven into the the narrative like anything else, and that's a really cool um, way to kind of identify where they are in 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 the story's narrative. It doesn't jump around; it's a straightforward like chronological um, story, and it, it I. I I remember when we finished it, you know, I had some thoughts on it. I was a little little dissatisfied with how little goes on and and felt like, you know, that there were some things that it did really well and some things that I wasn't really sold on. But the, the thing that's really kind of turned me on it hasn't been, you know, I don't read other people's reviews or check scores or any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's really just been that we watched it two weeks ago and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Yeah. I, I've thought about yeah. it at least once a day since then for, some, for one reason or another, um, even if it was a complaint or a positive or just something that reminded me of it. You know, like I, I really haven't been able to um, stop thinking about it just because it's a fascinating m- movie, if not in the narrative, which I think is its weakest point is just that it's, it's almost too internal um, how it was made, some of the choices he makes, um, just the fact that I'm still going back to it, I think is, yeah. 
enough. So, you know, to, to give it a rating, I, I give it a solid uh, rock fist. I'm not going to go way up um, because I do think it kind of trails off and just kind of... I, th- I think the last scene he fucks with us on purpose, but like person, a like, little bit, yeah, a little, yeah, a little because he like like that final shot. That yeah, because about? he yeah. sets it up. He goes so far in setting it up that it's just abundantly clear. Sure. Like he's trying to tell the audience, like this is what you want. We know you want this. You're used to watching movies this way. You know we, we you know you you know you want him to like grab her and kiss her and it be a big deal. And I'm totally not going to give you yeah. that at all. But yeah, I think that. Well, and one of the things that I I, I heard him say in the uh, because I was I was a little put off by that mm-hmm. by that last scene, uh, and then I watched this interview with Link later, and he said, "Yeah, no, I knew what that I knew what the last scene was going to be by like the second year we were shooting." Yeah, um, which may or may not be true. I don't care. Uh, but like, I don't know. I. Uh, one of the things that I'm interested to see is how it relates to different people at different ages. Yeah. Because I just finished college and he, and it ends with him getting to college and like, that's a totally normal thing for like a 19 year old to say. Yeah. Like it just makes, it it makes sense on that level. Like it's not satisfying and it's, it's crappy dialogue, but it's the crappy dialogue of being a 19 year old. Yeah. Of being a self-righteous pseudo philosophical. (laughs) Exactly. Like uh, I can't like I can't wait to to watch it with an audience just to see like the varying age levels yeah. and like who responds to. I'm kind of worried about watching it with an audience because I feel like a lot of people are going to come out of it, you know, saying what a waste of time or what a, you know. Like I feel like there's going to be a lot of that kind of conversation. Yeah, on I think the way this, out. it definitely it definitely feels like a movie that need that needs its audience. Right. Um. But as to that as to that scene. I do understand. It's like you're you're a very savvy moviegoer. I think all three of us are pretty aware and pretty attuned filmgoers, we'd hope. But but one of the things about that scene is that most of our lives are made up with with missed opportunities or opportun- like like these moments that are just askew, not exactly what you want them to be, but right. But are good, you know. They're not bad. They're not tragedies. They're just a missed opportunity right. or or yeah. a moment that lingers too long and then it's gone. Right. And and so you know, very very rarely or more more infrequently do we have those moments where we're like, man, this is just like a movie and everything's going my way and it's working out and it's exactly perfect and it's like I'm just gonna grab, you know, it's like I'm gonna reach out and she's gonna take my hand and. And, you know, he's going to kiss me or she's going to kiss me and this is going to be perfect. And so I thought the ending, though expected, if you're savvy and know Link later, I I thought it was perfectly reasonable. I do agree with you on your rating. Although, with the caveat, I I think I am solid rock fist up because because I thought this was was very good, really interesting, and an important film for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um and one that that I kind of feel like we're going to go back to and maybe I'm wrong about this. I mean, this kind of stuff is almost impossible to predict. Yeah. But I feel like because of the process, because of the commitment that there's just really was no, were no compromises made with this film. Like the decision was made to make it oh, yeah. and it's, they just it's, made it. It's his vision. I mean yeah. like 
And so I think because of that, it's very important for any number of reasons. But I do give it a solid rock fist up because I don't know that this is a film that that I want to see a whole bunch. It's it's something that I'm going to want to revisit every so often. Yeah. But I'm talking like every few years. Yeah. yeah. Being, um, being totally honest, I doubt I ever watch it again. I, I, hmm. doubt, I doubt I probably will. Like, I just, I enjoyed it and um, to a degree. And even though it wasn't that long, it still felt longer just it because. Was, it was, I mean, it was almost three hours long. Yeah. Like, it was. Yeah. yeah. It is two and a half hours long. Okay. Yeah. It two, felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah so. Yeah. Never mind. Maybe it did feel as long as well. Felt. Where do you I, come I, down on this one? Yeah. Um. I, I'm 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 in between. Uh, I, I'm on the border of solid rock fist up and rock fist way up because I am a huge fan of Linklater, and I, I think you said as we were leaving, you can get none more Richard. Link- <laughs> Richard Linklater can get none more Richard Linklater yeah. than right. this film. Right. Uh, and like, and I think about the things that I like that I like in movies, and it, this has all of them. But I also, I mean, I'll definitely watch it again. I, I'll probably go see it this weekend again when it opens in theaters, and um, it'll be one that I, you know, I. I try. So what's holding you back from a way up then? I don't know. I think that there was this. I mean. I, I started I read about this uh I read about this film when I was still in high school. Uh that he that Richard Linklater was, you know, in the middle of this project and uh and I thought, Wow, that's awesome, you know, twelve years. Uh <laughs> and <laughs> that's pretty neat. <laughs> and then and then we watched it and I mean I was happy that it wasn't like there wasn't that earth shattering like I am a movie. Yeah. Anything that happened, yeah. but I was also like, like, I mean, I've been thinking about this movie for like five years, like, and so I had this. There was this sort of, oh, okay, huh. so yeah. which is part of why I feel pretty strongly about wanting to see it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, now that I've had this a couple of weeks to sit with it. Um, so. All right. So brass tacks. What is it? Brass tacks. I'll call it. I'll call it solid. Solid okay. rock fist up. Yeah. So I, that's pretty easy to average out. Solid all the way around. Yeah. It's way too early, but you know, if it did, if it does get recognized come award season, I would, I would be totally okay with that. You know, I think. Yeah. Oh, I think I, I'm certain it will. Yeah. For in in terms of his body of work, I mean, I really do feel like this is his. You know, I won't say masterpiece, but it's definitely like, it, it is. It is to this point in his career, the best distillation of all of his talents. Yep. Yeah. By far. So, all right, well, let's talk about, uh, guardians of the galaxy now. Um, which you and I have seen, but we've Will seen hasn't. poor Will has so, it, and he's gonna. I'm gonna go watch it in like ruined. 20 minutes. Yeah. As soon, yeah. <laughs> as soon as we finish this, I'm gonna drive to the theater and watch this movie. Oh man, I wish I could go do that. Even though I'm seeing it tomorrow, I just want to see it again so bad. Um, James Gunn, uh, independent director, cut his teeth on trauma films, uh, did his first uh, solo, like, written and directed film called Slither back in, I think, 2006, maybe summer 2006. Something like that, yeah. I think it was 2006, yeah. It's got to be, I I would put money on it, it's 2006. And then Um, wasn't Super, like, 2008 or 9? Yeah, Yeah, it was was newer. Super was 10, I think. Okay, it was 10 or 11. Super was, yeah. Um, 
did Slither, which was this great like tongue-in-cheek sort of homage and parody of a ton of horror movies. I mean, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, The, the, thing, I mean, the Blob. I mean, just tons of them. Great cast in that. Um, really clever, fun, over-the-top movie yeah. um, that didn't... It got theater play, but it didn't... Uh, it, it definitely found like a cult audience. Um, then he turns around in like 2010 or 2011, does Super, which is another like heavily independent film with Rain Wilson... Uh, Ellen, Page. Ellen Page, Nathan Fillion's in it again. Kevin, uh, Bacon. Kevin Bacon, Liv Tyler. <laughs> I forgot Kevin Bacon. Yeah, was in Super. yeah. yeah. The, the Bakes in it. He's the main bad guy, and another sort of like, r- sort of real world take on what it would be to be a superhero. What it would take to kind of be. But the best, most you know, unrelenting vision of that. Yeah, yeah. Not it's like what shit, Kickass should have. Yeah, been. not shitty Mark Millar and Kickass and everything. <laughs> like not that kind of movie. It's. It was very gritty and violent and funny, but it also had a message. And he does this great misdirect where the whole time you think it's kind of a nihilistic smash and and and, and grab kind of movie. And then he puts this really profound <laughs> coda on He does it basically the, the same thing in Slither. In the last, yeah, yeah, in the last 10 minutes, he actually makes it about something. And it totally, it doesn't redeem the rest of the movie because it didn't need redeeming. Right. But it it totally justifies and gives merit to everything that happened before yeah, it. Yeah. I, I really love Slither. The way that it ends, I think, is is just incredibly moving and... Uh, super? Or, sorry, Super yeah. is incredibly moving and, and um, well thought. And the same with Slither. I mean, I love that movie, too. Yeah. Um, so he's... But, he, you know, he's he's been a cult director his whole life. He's done tiny little movies with, you know, small crews and smaller budgets. And then... Kevin Feige, in his insane, infinite wisdom, the same guy that saw, like, Joss Whedon do Dollhouse and Six Seasons of Buffy and write a couple of Marvel comics ago, you know, I think... Why I'll would get, you ever mention Dollhouse just beca- in front of me? Be- because, to prove that, like, he saw that and was like, you know what, I still think I'll give him the crown jewel. <laughs> in spite of this garbage. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I like, am going to give there's, him. There's greatness here. Yeah. He, he wrote Alien yeah. Resurrection. Don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. It would be... Um, I hear there's this kid who wrote for Roseanne. Yeah. Can we yeah, get that pretty guy? much. Yeah, he Can wrote. We get for, that guy? He wrote like three seasons of Roseanne. Yeah, you weed nights. And then uh, that's, I said it. And yeah. Toy Story. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. So, so yeah, he you know, the same guy that gave Joss Whedon the crown jewel of their franchise uh, sees Slither and Super and goes, "That's the guy I want to make yeah. our next sort of tentpole movie." So. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is that movie. Guardians of the Galaxy is the the second Marvel movie of the summer. Uh, the first was Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which I also enjoyed very much. And again, that was a weird choice. Where it's like, yeah, these two guys that did a bunch of community episodes, let's give them like our biggest action franchise other than Avengers, you know? Um, and it worked out great. So this this is just totally removed from the rest of the Marvel universe. It exists in it, but with the exception of a few references, it's totally separate and it doesn't feel anything like the other Marvel movies. It's, it's this, you know, crazy ragtag space adventure with, um, just a group of misfits that come together to save the universe or the galaxy rather. And it's awesome. That's, that's like my short description of the movie. I think that's a good, I think that's a really solid description of it. Um, 
I would go a little bit further. I would say more than that it's just awesome. No, no, no. And I actually mean, I, explain why but, it's awesome. But, but because it's like, yeah, it is this awesome space adventure. It basically harkens back to the days when, like, Lucas and Spielberg did awesome stuff yeah. without just straight rehashing what they do. Yeah. It has the formula. So, yeah. so you have the basically space car chase. You have the big epic space battle. You have the individual things going on while the space battle is going on. Yeah. I mean... The formula is basically in place. Oh yeah, it's not re—it's not remaking the wheel. Um, what is interesting is is that James Gunn's sensibilities, though I think tactfully restrained, yeah, are still there. He does manage to insert a pretty funny cum joke into a PG thirteen Disney movie that I thought was. Incredible. Uh, yeah, it's more a blacklight joke. Yeah, but I we, mean, we, we know, right, we know right. what's going to yeah, show yeah. up in the blacklight. You know. Exactly, exactly. No, I mean, I, I, you're and, right. And you're pa- right. And parents, you can say and that And some very well-placed expletives also. Yeah. Um, you know, he basically ba- is able to maintain his PG-13 because he is savvy about how yeah. he does things. And because it's a Marvel movie and they don't want to have you ever actually kill people, just like in the Avengers, it's just a bunch of aliens, like, it's like Power but Rangers. But people die in this. It's, yeah, yeah, people die. Yeah. But there are, there are also just a ton of disposable enemies that they can, you know, but they ki- actually... kill in mass and so, do horrible shit So here's shit the thing too. that I love about James Gunn, is yeah. that... While he's poking fun at a genre, so with Slither, while yeah. he's poking fun at the sort of body horror genre, hearkening back to body horror in the 50s, like yeah. Body Snatchers or, you know, something the like blob. that. The Blob. Yeah. Uh, but while he's poking fun at the tenets of that genre, it is also a total love letter oh, yeah. to that genre. Oh, yeah. So, so the disposable enemies... Yeah. When Drax the Destroyers like looks at one of the other guys and he goes, "Oh, they're going to have all of these soldiers there." And he goes, "I think of these people as paper people." Yeah. And it's like <laughs> that is totally a reference not just to the characters on screen, but like he might as well like look out look straight out into the camera and wink at the audience yeah. because he's like, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. don't you? You know, disposable. I'm going to kill yeah, all I'm of I'm going to just yeah. take them all out. Not a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's great. But at yeah. the same time, then you have these amazing action moments, oh, you yeah. know, where, where you're just like, oh, wow, these adversaries of differing levels and of differing capabilities are really like, you know, putting up some level of threat. He Whether manages, we believe they're going to, the main yeah. character. I mean, gonna, you, you know, it's yeah. kind of a foregone conclusion, but he manages to make the, the, the thing that he does better or not better than anybody, but he does extremely well is that he, he can spin multiple plates. So it can be a parody. It can be a sort of a winking film and it can still be a love letter. And there can also still be stakes and there can still be moments of like genuine drama in the movie. Yeah. The way that it opens is great. I love the way that it begins. Yeah. And and then the way that it calls back and to that. And it's a total cold open. Yeah, cold op- the cold open's great and then the the way it calls back to it at the very end like that was genuinely moving to me yeah. the way that they yeah. like circle back to it in that moment. And, and he doesn't I wouldn't say subtle, but it's really well done. Yeah, it, it's, it's overt. It's, it's not it's a well cheat, done. you know. Yeah. It's it's earned. That's what I always Totally. you know. 
And so to do that, that's that's a fantastic moment. Um, to keep the humor and the sensibilities intact to the whole thing, like the the sort of big showdown that happens, the fact that it's broken up by the same humor that's populated the rest of the film. Yeah, I loved that. Um, there are just. Star Wars arrogance paired with ineptness throughout. Like, even when he saves a main character, and you're like, oh, this is going to be that touching moment. And it just, like, it starts. He deflates it. And it just totally, like, deflates like a balloon in the funniest, best way ever. Yeah. It's great. There there are so many moments like that where he walks up to the movie that a certain set of people expect and then. Turns it just just like fifteen degrees, yeah, or thirty degrees from center. You know, like sure, like you know, there's that scene, and it's in the trailer, but there's that scene where he it looks like he's gonna uh, kiss Gamora, and the way that that is deflated is right. like perfect. Or you know, so so it has moments like that where it it, <laughs> it walks towards the status quo and then just takes a sharp left. Yeah, and I loved it for that. I also loved that it created like I, I I was really glad that they didn't show us a lot about the villain because Lee Pace is fucking terrifying. Like I I loved Lee Pace as the villain in this. The way that he brings this sort of in a way that Tom Hiddleston kind of did in the other uh, in the Thor movies and the Avengers, but in a totally different Although way. Although there's like, he's, nothing he's, funny about this character. Yeah, he's dark. Yeah, and and so he almost doesn't fit in the rest of the movie. Like he's. He's terrifying. Yeah. And, 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 but he manages to make him a believable character in this universe at the same yeah. time. Um, I love the, the sets and the effects and that he really chose to um, go with practical effects like makeup and prosthetics when he could. Yeah, as absolutely. often as he could. Yeah. Um, Karen Gillan looks great as, mm-hmm. as uh, her character. Um, Gamora looks, you know, the, uh, Zoe uh, Zaldana looks great as Gamora. Um, every character that that is playing basically a prosthetic or a, um, an alien, they look real because they're the actual person, just painted and heavily, heavily uh, covered in, in um, makeup and prosthetics. Um, Michael Rooker, and, and that's the other thing and is that by... he he has so many members from the cast of his two previous films yeah. in this, and and there's a Lloyd Kaufman cameo that's great. The Nathan Fillion cameo is so hard to spot. Totally impossible to spot. Yeah, I, I unless you absolutely know where to look. Yeah, Nerdist had to spoil it for me because I watched it. And I was like, I think it must be in the after credits thing because there wasn't one, and they probably are waiting for the the full release. Right. And then they ran an article two days later. I was like, oh shit, he was right in front of me the whole time, and right. I just had no idea. Um, and I wasn't the only one. There were a couple other people with me. That, yeah, that, I definitely that couldn't, I couldn't him. spot him. So, but yeah, it just it. it at the end of the day, it's a it's a sort of dumb, vague compliment to give it, but it, but it's true. It was just really fun. I just had so much fun with it, and I was so glad to see a franchise that they didn't they didn't create like they didn't base it on any existing story or anything else. They just took these characters and made a movie with them. Yeah, and and it was great. You know, I don't have a lot of investment in those characters, so maybe if I were like a super jerk and was like, "Well, that would never happen," but no, it was great. It was just yeah. taking these these four character, five characters that I really like, and crafting a really well made story around them. And the casting choices were so inspired and random. Um, you know, putting John C. Riley in it with Glenn Close, and you know, all all and of these their interactions of, are great. Yeah, and all of it, all of it fits and. 
uh, Captain the Winter Soldier. I know you haven't seen it. Winter Soldier has a great sort of like um, resolution after after the climax, the sort of falling action mm-hmm. and resolution. That's it's done really well and set to a really smart song that's integrated into the earlier part of the movie. But the one in Guardians, the way that they do it is also really uh, yeah. cool and memorable. The soundtrack and, in this film, awesome. Just, is ridiculous. And it's so funny. There's not a yeah. contemporary song in it, but it's also true to the character yeah. because of why he has what he has and where it goes. I never thought that I would get, like, you know, not emotional, but I never thought that a character getting a mixtape in a movie would make me, like, go, oh, that's really well done. Like, that's a really cool touch. That is probably <laughs> my I, biggest I, I positive. Love, I love that yeah, scene. Yeah, that's my biggest that positive about this film is that <clears throat> James Gunn has basically shown every director who failed at making an ensemble cast film, like, this is the way you do it. This is yeah. the way you touch on backstory don't embellish too far. Right. Don't get into explication. Just let it exist and focus on making these characters sympathetic. And, also, and how do you do that? You show that they are all ultimately weak misfits who absolutely need each other. And and also to succeed. Yeah. And and you know, it's a really simple rule, cause and effect. Yeah. Everything like earlier events cause what happens in the movie and it, and it causes and the choices ca- character that the characters make yeah and it's such a, everything just feels really organic in the sense that you know nobody's acting out of turn or doing something random that you don't understand he explains why um you know ronan's a bad guy right. he explain he gives him a motivation really quick and establishes why he's doing what he's doing and why he's you know, and it's a, a scene that lasts yeah, twenty seconds. Yeah, and he does it, and he and does we're it done perfectly. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, like he explains why Star Lord is the way that he is, and he explains why Drax. Everybody gets a reason. There's this great scene, you know, that that scene when they land on nowhere and they're gambling, and he comes like he comes back and they're drunk. Right. That's you know, it's a CG character, but I was I still felt for it because he gave it a he gave him a story, he gave right. it a purpose. Yeah. And yeah, you Rocket Raccoon and Groot, you feel <laughs> yeah, for them. You do, yeah. People are gonna love it. Like after tomorrow, yeah, everyone, they're gonna every, sell so many toys. Yeah, everyone's gonna talk about them. <laughs> did Did James Gunn write it as well? He he got a he wrote all the dialogue. I guess there was a first draft by another writer. I don't know how much of it carried over into but his. But supposedly he kept the story structure only, gutted yeah. the re- gutted the script, and basically yeah. rewrote. He he rewrote the characters and added all the like eighties references and stuff like that. I mean, like he, it's it's almost wholly a gun script at yeah. this point. In but. fact, does, does he get a top writing credit? I think he does. Yeah, I think he gets a top writing credit and the person who did the original draft gets a second Oh, good. Credit. Must be good to be them. Yeah, so, that's kind of so... Yeah, well, I think they were pretty pissed about it, but yeah. he... Uh, I, James Gunn, I think, even said that it was a gift. So... Yeah. Um, which, whether that is... St- I mean, it looks like a James Gunn script. Yeah. I mean, from, from the way it plays out. Here's my he- here's my only hesitation. I think I'm solid on this. I think yeah. this is a solid and, rock fist up. And if you've paid attention to this podcast at all, for Trey to be solid on a superhero movie, I mean, it's, it's, it's the yeah, greatest superhero movie ever made. Right, is what that so, means. But here here's my only hesitation, and this really is just because of my love of James Gunn's previous outings. Sure, is that you don't get a scene like the bedroom scene in Slither. 
when she walks into your every woman in the world to oh, me. Oh, yeah. You don't get a scene like either the Ellen Page raping Rain Wilson scene oh yeah. in Super or uh, Ellen Page's, Page getting shot at the end of Super. You yeah. don't get that totally relentless, like, oh, no, this is what we're working towards. Yeah. Like, this is what it is. And I understand. I un- You get a glimpse of it. And yeah. the glimpse of it that you get actually is amazing because it's with Groot. Yeah. And it's the moment in the hallway where he just, it, the scene yeah. just keeps going on for too long. The way that. And you're like, why isn't he stopping? Yeah. Why isn't he not? Like, and I think the only way you even pick up on that is if you're a James Gunn fan and not if you're a Marvel fan. Like, if you're a Marvel movie fan and not a James Gunn fan, I don't, I think that blows past you. Yeah. But if you're a James Gunn fan, all of a sudden that scene, like, I was laughing. Oh, yeah, a lot of people. Because, because I was just like, oh, this is, this is him sneaking the most he can get away with right. into this. Yeah. Where it's like... As being it, as James Gunn as he yeah, can. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's bloodless, but it is like, it is basically just wanton violence. Yeah, it's horrific. To the point where you, like, notice that it is wanton violence. And then the main character that's doing it, like, turns and smiles at you. Yeah. It's amazing. That- I, I mean, it's amazing. But, but, but none of that pushes to the extent that I know James Gunn is capable of. And, and I was, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I miss it. Yeah. I miss it. I, I, wish, I wish we lived in a world where we could get that in a Marvel superhero movie. Because I think it would make it better. Yeah. Um, so I, I miss that. The other thing that keeps me at a solid and not a way up is that it it doesn't reinvent. But the reason why it gets a solid, even though it is not a full reinvention, it's just a well-executed, smart, intelligent, summer, fun movie. The reason why it gets a solid is it is so well executed. It's well done. And at the end of it, there are at least five characters you legitimately care about. Yeah. And to say that in a superhero movie, um, it, it, I, it, I think is an, a remarkable achievement and a testament to James Gunn's abilities. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of just, you know, as a summer movie, you, you know, it's, we have this conversation a lot about like kind of grading on a curve and, you know, spotting summer movies, some points and, and winter dramas, other points and things like that. Sure. I don't know if this is on a curve or not, but in terms of just like raw visceral fun and I mean, I had insane expectations for this movie way higher than they should have been. I was so worried going in that it was just going to be okay. And I was going to be underwhelmed. It totally exceeded what I thought it was going to be. And it's, I mean, it's my, it's easily my favorite movie this summer. Um, and it might be my favorite Marvel movie. Like the more I think about it, I need to see it a couple more times and and figure that out. But You know, in, in terms of like again. quality of of like the craftsmanship and the ability, I just love that it's a big far flung space movie. I, I I love that he used um, practical effects whenever he could, and when he did use CG, it was effects, totally earned. The CG effects, yeah, because he's employing so many practical effects, the CG effects must be based on the practical effects. So yeah. again, it gives weight to the the CG effects. Yeah. In a way that if it's all CG and they're like, we can do whatever we want. Great. It's all going to look like garbage. Yeah. It's all cool. Gonna look fucking yeah. Fake. Awesome. It's going to look like a video game. Right. Um, 
I, I'm I'm going way up. I just I loved it too much to not do that. Even though you know I'm giving it the same rating that I gave fucking Zero Dark Thirty or Drive or <laughs> you know like if, even though I'm doing you know if you yeah. if you compare yeah. the way ups it probably doesn't really yeah and I match, think if it had but I don't been really, an I don't really care yeah I think if it had been a fully unrestrained James Gunn vision I would totally go way up but yeah. I think it also would be the last time that we saw James Gunn I think. I well, think Marvel would. They already announced that he's yeah. writing and directing the sequel. I, I know, yeah. because, be, and, and I think he was well, I'm just, I'm just glad show to level that they're of, doing yeah. that. Yeah. But you know, we'll see. I wish that this film meant that Marvel was willing to take more risks, I and mean, I don't think it will be because I mean, with with uh, Edgar Wright getting or see, leaving leaving uh, Ant Man, Ant -Man yeah. and, and getting replaced by the person who does Fantastic Four. Bring it on, or bring it on, whatever. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Great. Okay, no. Oh, wait. I, you've changed my mind. I'm so excited. Well, he did that. do Down With Love, which is actually pretty solid. Um, but, you know, and then who? what is the other film that they've announced? That Doctor Strange and the guy that did Insidious is directing it. <sighs> oh, James Wan? Or yeah, Wan or James Wan. James Wan? Writing and directing, I believe. And you know who they're circling for the title character? Who? Joaquin. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, don't, we don't know that's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, but but if you look at, like, what they're kind of looking at, I, I don't think it's going to mean that, that big risks are in the future of Marvel, you know, even no. with side projects and stuff like that. So, and that's what I was really hoping out of this film, that, that, that Guardians Galaxy, <laughs> even though I think it is very good, uh, it yeah. doesn't mean that the trend will change. And and I'm sad about that. Yeah, I, I'm okay with it being just sort of a weird... One-off? Misfit toy. Well, it's not going to be a one-off because they're already going to do sequels. But they, it's it's going to make them a lot of money. There's no way that it's not. Um, and so they've typically been pretty hands-off with their movies that do well. They're not like, let's fuck with it now that it's done yeah. a good job. So if... if if it means James Gunn gets gets well, to like keep... Iron Man two, you mean like Iron Man two? Yeah, where they told Favreau, who had done a perfectly good job with Iron Man one, like what to do. And... You're thinking of the third one where they just didn't hire him at all. Well, but that was yeah, because but... of Iron Man two. Yeah, that was because of the restraints that he put. He's just like, yeah. I I couldn't make the movie I wanted because they had to get the arc in there. That's okay because John Favreau is a shitty director, so it doesn't. Oh, that's really fine. Me. I mean, I, yeah. but I'm just saying, it's like meddling is meddling, and it's yeah. going to happen. And well, it's and, a and they're going to meddle more if it's successful. Yeah. Well, it's a giant business. Yeah. And I get all that, but. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought it was great. You should go see it. Um, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Go it. see both of these films for yeah. totally different totally reasons. Totally different reasons. Go see one for its uh, you know, uh, crazy ambition and, and existential questions it asks but never answers. Go see the other one for uh, to get talking, away from that. For a talking raccoon. <laughs> Double feature. Yeah. Yeah, for a talking raccoon and a sentient tree person that um, played by Vin can only say three words. Yeah. yeah. So... All right, that's it. So that's all we have this week. We'll be back next week with another one. Yeah. I don't know what. We're we'll into figure the storm. it out. Into the storm. We'll be doing Into the Storm and... Um, TMNT. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that's right. Heroes in a Half Shell. Turtle mm -hmm. Power. All right, we'll see you next week. Adios.